One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another Friday edition of the Work-Life Balance. So happy to have you with us. Um, You know, it's going to be just me today, and I'm in a fairly reflective mood. Uh, So we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to be discussing kind of one of my favorite topics Uh, So it's going to be very helpful for anybody in sales, anybody who is in small business, anybody who's a consultant, uh, and anybody that has clients. So we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Uh, Yeah, I've been uh, actually talking all day. Uh, So for those of you that follow me on social media, we've released a a new web series called PM Minute, uh, standing for Project Management Minute. So uh, if you look for the hashtag uh, PM Minute, you'll see what we're talking about. Uh, so the second in that series uh, came out in, in the person I'm working with, uh, John Deaver, uh, who owns a, a company called Cinepair here in town in Birmingham. Uh, we've been working with him for the last uh, two months now. We're going to continue this relationship. He's a fantastic uh, videographer. Uh, but he was over at the house today, and, and we literally filmed about uh, probably 15, 16 more of those uh, PM Minutes, uh, as well as several promos and things for for upcoming speaking engagements. We did a promo for the engagement that uh, is coming up in Des Moines, Iowa on October 13th. I've got uh, uh, Jacksonville, Florida coming up October 23rd. I'm going to be at the IIBA conference uh, here in Birmingham, uh, Alabama next Friday, September 29th. We're also going to do the show live uh, from that event, uh, September 29th. Uh, I'm going to be in Monday, uh, September, uh, I believe that's what the 25th, uh, I'm going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, working with uh, the, the CA folks uh, discussing the modern PMO. So we'll be in Atlanta, Georgia for that event. Uh, and of course, October 6th, the big Live to Lead event. Uh, so if you go to my YouTube channel, which is uh, R-Square Consulting, you'll find uh, uh, the the promo that we did, uh, that Cinepair did as well for Live to Lead. Uh, that was fantastic. Um so, uh, you know, please, ho- you know, hook up with us on, on social media. Check out these videos that we're doing, um, and we'd love to, to hear your comments and, and feedback. Uh, so today, what we're going to be talking about is, you know, really what I consider ideal clients. Um, and, but, but I'm not really going to describe so much characteristics of the ideal clients, but really just kind of start to finish the relationship building and the understanding uh, of ideal clients. And... Um, I got into a really retrospective mood, and that happens when I'm doing these PM minutes and in these videos. And you know, we we got into a big discussion today just about you know who is our squared, you know why did I start the business, um, what you know why do I do what I do, and um, you know one of the biggest reasons why I do what I do and why I do this radio show and and you know why I do the business I'm in is is around valuing people. And my day actually started off really cool today because I, I, I touched base with, with somebody uh, who was a former client. And um, I'm going to save a, a point for, for later in the show, but but my day started w- with her. And it, it was a great conversation, and it really got me to, into this retrospective mood and, and the reflective mood um, and really just started this whole whole process for the day. And in talking with her, you know, I really started to think through and in, in how interesting it really is when you start to look at the success and failure 
um, of projects and, and things like that, you know, what do you really evaluate that on? And, and when you look at the success and failure of client relationships, what do people value that on? When you look at success and failure of, you know, sales deals and sales cycles and that kind of stuff, I, I think the metrics that we use a lot of times are flawed. And so we're going to talk through that. What makes an ideal client? What makes an ideal relationship? And then how do you really measure somebody's success? And I'm going to challenge some of those thoughts and theories on today's show. So hopefully you'll hang out with us and uh, we'll talk through that uh, today on the Work-Life Balance. So I think really in the beginning, when we're talking about ideal clients or what makes an ideal client, and I'm going to talk about what I think makes an ideal client for us, for R-squared. I think it starts with the sales cycle. Uh, You know, I've seen so many different sales seminars. I've seen a lot of different sales cycles. And I got exposed to a system a long time ago called the Sandler Sales Method. If you if you haven't heard of that or, or look it up, it's called Sandler Sales Method, S-A-N-D-L-E-R. Um, and, you know, I, I take some aspects of that, but really built our own uh, sales cycle. But some of the things that, that I enjoyed about the Sandler Sales Method, what I thought was different was, you, you you take the client outside of the normal sales cycle. If you look at a normal sales cycle, this is what generally happens. What generally happens is, is you know, a salesperson will walk in the door and they do something what we call uh, spilling the candy in the lobby. What they do is they immediately just start running down all the benefits or all the things that they think that they could pro- provide a company. And what they're also doing, though, is they're giving away intellectual property. They're 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 giving stuff. They're saying, "Hey, here's all this all the problems we can solve for you." Before number one, truly identifying if that problem exists for a company. And so then normally what happens next is that person will say, "Well, sure, that, that sounds interesting. Let me see a demo, a demonstration." Well, a typical salesperson. They work off of what we call happy ears. They, they, they only want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear to the next yes. They, they want to get to that next step. So, oh, a demo. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. And so they, they go and do a demonstration. And demonstration, they're showing them their product and, again, giving away more intellectual capital. And, and so a client can sit there and say, well, tell me how you would solve this problem or tell me how you would solve that problem. And people you know, freely do that. And, and so the next step is a client would say, well, give me a proposal or even worse, sometimes they say, well, give us a proof of concept. And so a proof of concept normally means two to three weeks worth of work and more demonstrations and more, you know, proofs that, that you can solve this mythical problem. And so you do that and then give me a proposal. So then you work and you you craft all these documents and you come up with a proposal and you, you give them a price. And, and then finally, once you get it, the price, a couple things generally happen. One, sometimes they're sticker shock. They're like, wow, I had no idea it was going to cost this much. There's no way. Two, you find out you've been talking to the wrong person all along and they don't have the decision authority to, to make that, that choice. Three, they, they, they just, you know, throw up all over it and, and, you know, or four, they just don't call you back, right? And then there's that small percentage where you could actually go to the deal. And that's a normal sales cycle. It's it's silly, but one of the biggest fears of a lot of salespeople is actually getting the no. They, they want to just get yes, 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 and hopefully they'll get that yes all the way through the deal. Well, what Sandler does 
is a little bit of a reverse of that methodology. And it, it's, it sounds counterintuitive, but I found it to be really smart. I found it to be really um, cool. So the first thing that you do in a, in a Sandler sales methodology is, is, number one, you don't spill your candy in the lobby. You listen and build a relationship with a person. And, and so you're asking questions like, you know, what are your pain points? And you're identifying whether or not there's actually a problem that you can solve. Otherwise, what are you doing there, right? So they, they may not truly have a need that you can solve. And if you find that out early, great, you're not wasting time. Um, if they do have a problem that you can solve, um, the next thing that you're trying to find out is, are you talking to the right person? And so you start to ask qualifying questions like, so if we were to get further in this process, are you the person that signs? And I've met so many salespeople that are afraid to ask that question, but it's a it's a honest question. Like, do you have the authority to spend this level of money? And a lot of times people start saying, um, you know, uh, what are the, what are the, uh, they, they start asking questions like, uh, how, how much is this going to cost? And, and, you know, my, my first thing to come back from cost is, is I'll go like, I don't even know if I have a solution that, that's going to help you yet. Right. And they'll start going, well, can you show us a demo? And again, I don't know if I have a solution that's going to help you yet. So you, you really got to get through the qualification phase and you kind of reverse the funnel. It's not that we won't demo. It's not that we're not going to give a proposal. What we've got to find out is, first of all, do you have a pain point that we can solve? Second of all, do we have a solution in which is going to work? Third, even if we do, are you the person to talk to? And if not, let's get to the person that can. Now, once we've qualified all that, then we can start to get into, you know, if we do demo this, you know, what is it that you're trying to see? What is it that we can answer for you? What is the criteria that we're trying to get to? That, that's going to help you solve your situation. So that that's what I liked about Sandler, but some of it was very prescriptive. What I'm trying to do in a sales cycle is really get to know one another. And I'm really trying to make sure that um, we can understand who each other are and whether or not we've got the same principles. You know, I'm at a point in a career where you don't chase every client. You know, I think if you asked me 10 years ago, I think any business was great business. And, and I think that's a horrible uh, business philosophy uh, because not all business is great business. You've got to actually have the same core values and set of beliefs that your, your client does in order for you to be successful. And we'll talk about that. But not everybody should be your, your client. And so I think it's just as much of an interview process for you as it is for the client interviewing you. You gotta make sure that you guys are on the same path, on the same page. Um, and you're looking for a partnership. And so one of the big things that I say in my qualification is, it, I say it all the time, is that I wanna be your partner, not your vendor. And, and people ask me why I say that. A, a partner is willing to invest in each other. I'm, I'm investing time in you and I'm investing knowledge in you and I'm. I really want to get to know you guys and I really want to learn from you guys. And I'm here to help solve whatever it issue that you feel that I can solve. At the same time, I want you to invest in us. It's not just cutting us a check. It's not just, um, you know, doing what we ask or, or, or following a process. It, it's an investment in us. It's a belief in us as much as we want to invest and believe in you. 
And if we can get to that reciprocal commitment with each other, that we are investing in each other and we do believe in each other, then, then this is a partnership. We're going to work together to be better together. It's not, um, you do what we say, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, because we're your client. Um, that, that that's not that, that that's a that's a boss employee relationship that's not a partnership and i think it's very important to establish that up front because the clients i'm looking for are people that are willing to invest in each other to become better together and if they're not interested in that type of relationship then then i'm not interested in them as a client and i'll walk away and i have i actually walked away from a very large deal about three weeks ago um for that very same reason, we, we, we let them know we wouldn't compete with, with our core partner. We have a partner that we do business with, and they wanted us to have a competitive price with them. And we told them, look, the moment you ask for that, we're out. That's not something we do. The other thing was, is they wanted to get like pricing from seven or eight different companies. And it's not that we won't compete with those companies. It's that we had already had time to establish the value of us. So the moment that you're starting to get eight or nine different prices, all you're looking for is the lowest common denominator, the lowest cost price, which basically says you're not really going after value, you're going after cost. And if you're going after cost, then you don't see value in us, and we really don't need to be here. And I'm not going to sit here and create a red ocean environment where everybody's just going to try to lower their price and devalue each other and compete against each other um, just so that they can get a, a measly slice of business and hope to do what you say. As a matter of fact, you're replacing a system, right, that, that you're already implemented that failed. And so you're about to repeat that same mistake by repeating the same behavior that got you there. Instead of finding a partner who's really wanting to invest in your success and bring you value. And so you've got to be willing to say, you know, you're probably not a client for us. And be willing to walk away, which is one of the hardest lessons a small business owner has to be able to make, even large business owners, but especially small because, you know, deals can be fewer and far between to be able to say, because that is your name and your reputation on the client. So we're going to talk more about what is an ideal client and what are some of the things that you should look for in ideal clients and how can you build those relationships when we come back after the break. You're listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. 
Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance. So we're talking about ideal clients and client relationships and and kind of what that means. Uh, So we've been talking about the sales cycle, and I did want to wrap up a couple of other points on that. Um, and talk about early engagement uh, of the sales cycle. A um, couple of tips that I can give, especially small business owners and, and you know consultants. One of the the tactics, it's not even a tactic. It's it's just something that I do um, that, that seems to resonate. It, it has to come from the heart. It has to be genuine. But I, I think it's a lost art, um, unfortunately. Um, but I still I, I, I see very few people and, and I can tell very few people are really doing it based on the reaction I get from my clients. You still have to ask for the business. So when, once I've established the, the relationship with the client, once we have gone through the full cycle, I want them to really know that once we've kind of gone through this interview process and we've kind of made that decision that we're going forward, um, or at least I, I really become excited about the business and I really do want them as a client, I ask them for the business. And, it, and it's genuine. Uh, so I was just with a, a client in North Carolina recently, um, and I just looked at him. I said, look, you know, hopefully today went as well, you know, for you as, as it felt for me. And you know, I just want you guys to understand I'm very excited about this opportunity and I want your business and I'll do what it takes to win it. Um, and and I, I really think that the, the the two of us can learn from each other, and I, I'm excited to see where we could take the business together. Should we decide to do business together, I just want to make sure it gets across that that I value the opportunity, and I want your business. And and their faces, you can see their faces change, but it came from the heart. It was genuine. But I still think it's very important to make sure that you ask for the business. I think I think. That so few people still do, and and it's not a, a, an off the cuff, just you know, oh, what's your business? It, it you have to ask, and you have to mean it, um, and you have to want it. Uh, I think that that's important in establishing the relationship, um, and make sure. Uh, and this is part of Sandler too, and, and I've got story after story where I've just seen things go downhill. In fact, I'll tell one. Um, 
we had we had developed a piece of proprietary technology. We were the first ever to do it for an industry. Uh, and, and it was it was brand new. It was groundbreaking. We just finished it for a client. Uh, in fact, it was it, it was uh, the the project of the year for for a very large client. Um, we were very proud of it. it. Was it was an exciting project, and so uh, another client then released uh, a, a bid for a project, and so you had all the big consulting firms, you know, the the PwCs and ENYs and all these people going after the business, and then you got this very small business, R squared, going after it, and so we bid on the project. The difference was was that all the big consulting firms had never developed that piece of technology. It was proprietary. It, it's it was a new theory, um, and so to them, it had never been done before. The difference in my bid was I had just finished a project in successfully delivering the exact same technology that they were asking for. So when I was bidding my cost, I knew what the cost would be. And I was basing it off of known variables. Everybody else was basing it off of unknowns, and they were coming up with really ungodly prices. So we had bid like a half a million dollars to to develop this technology. Everybody else was coming in at four and five and and six million dollars. And so we we go to this company and we're we're doing a presentation, and it was a joint venture. And so the the other half of this joint venture finds out that we're literally like an eighth of the cost of what everybody else bid. And so, unfortunately, they worked for a public company that they managed their salespeople by numbers. And I get that. I, I, I get the reason for that. And so they're thinking, wow, there's money on the table. So they, you know, start to convince the company that we bid too low. And the reason being is that, that our square, my company was too small. And that we really didn't kind of understand the magnitude of the scope of the project that was being asked. So they start to work on the psyche of the company and, and say, you know, they're really smart. They know what they're doing, but they're just too small. And you really need, you know, to come through us and, and we can get access to that their technology and to their people, but come through us. And so it scared the company. So what they decided to do was to make it like a double joint venture and hire another firm to do the definition phase and then ask us to develop towards the definition phase. And so what should have cost them a half a million dollars, they ended up buying like a $2 million definition. And then that turned into like two and a half million dollars of services in which I got like maybe 10,000 or $20,000 of that to to do some architecture, but I wasn't involved in developing technology or doing anything else. So it turns out to be this huge, massive failure. Because nobody knew, you know, the, the company that was trying to develop technology had never developed it before. They were trying to develop it without anything specific in mind. They were trying to be too general. When we get the requirements, it's nowhere near anything that we can work with. Um, then, then, you know, again, it, it was just a huge mess. And so my point for telling that story is instead of selling to what they needed and to what was known, we were selling to a number into a budget because what we were trying to do is hit a quota versus what was really necessary. And so it's always been my philosophy to, to I, I really don't want to know what your budget is. I really don't care what your budget is. Here's what I think you need. Here's what I think it will take. As a matter of fact, 
the the way I've priced forever is, is is I have a pricing matrix that that I can give a client where they can kind of name their own price and and settle in where they feel comfortable with our services. Um, and I've done that that way for a long time because I don't want to try to uncover a budget and then try to sell to a budget because now I'm selling things you don't need. And when when you get into things like that, you're, you're not caring about the process or the customer. You're caring about the number and the quota. And I've, I've watched numbers and quotas kill projects and clients forever. I, I, I saw another example of that where we had another piece of technology. We convinced the company to, to sell it, and we were trying to get licenses from a software company. And um, the, 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 this company had bought another company. And so this other company had owned some software. So they were just going to buy. It was literally like a $4 million deal. But then two sales guys started arguing about whose territory should get the $4 million. So this company is about to get a $4 million deal that they had not they, – they didn't have to work for any of it. They, did, they, they didn't spend any sales cycles. They didn't have to do anything. It's basically, here's a free $4 million order. Take it. But it started to get bogged down based on the fact of two sales guys arguing about whose territory should get the $4 million. So who was going to get commission? Now, basically, who's going to get free commission? Because neither one of them worked for it. And after all the arguing and fighting and that kind of stuff, the company finally gave up and said, you know what? It's too difficult to deal with the software company. We're just going to keep what we have. Let's not worry about it. And then us, who had been working for six months to secure this deal, ended up losing all of the time and investment that we had made into the client. And again, it was all about you know quotas and numbers and not what the company needed. And so I've just seen that way, way too many times. And so what I think ends up happening is that we lose sight of people. I think we value people more than anything else. Then we don't lose sight. Money's going to come. Um, I have incredible relationships uh, with my partners for the, for the fact that anytime, anywhere that, that they need me, I'll show up. And so, again, I, Monday I'm speaking at a conference for CA who I, who I value dearly. And uh, th- there was a, a promo that came out for CA World that I've done. I've been part of their agility cast. I'm going to be at CA World um, I do a lot of free marketing uh, events for them. Um, I'll show up anytime, anywhere. I, I go and, and work with their sales teams and, and help, you know, train them on the latest trends of what's happening, latest thought leadership, that kind of stuff. I do that all the time because I value them as a partner. I value them um, as as a relationship. And I think when you, you invest things and you, you show that, I, I've even acted um, and been in sales cycles for deals that weren't mine. And and people ask me all the time, well, why do you do that? And, and the reason being is because I value them as a partner. Eventually, other deals are going to come my way. Not every deal or every interaction or everything that I have to do, every marketing event, everything has to have, you know, four leads in it for me or something in it for me. Because if you operate that way all the time, people are not going to want to deal with you. But if you give freely and you value people and you sow enough seeds, essentially, eventually, you're going to reap, you know, what you sow. And and so, by by doing that and by giving freely and by being there for them, um, I've maintained a, a business and a relationship with them that's kept me successful. But it's it's through servant leadership and and through valuing them and showing that through actions. Um, you know, I just. Uh, agreed to go to Boulder, Colorado on, on, you know, my, my expense nickel 
to go train a new sales staff on a new piece of technology for them. Um, and, and there's no guarantee I'll get a deal out of that. There's no guarantee that clients will come from that. But I know eventually it'll come my way um, because if I invest enough into the relationship and they understand it. Now, do some partners take advantage of that? Sure. Do some companies take advantage of that? Absolutely. But you can't live your life in, in fear of being taken advantage of or you are going to get taken advantage of. I know that if I sow enough seeds and work hard enough and build enough relationships, then enough business is going to come my way to, to be successful enough. And, and I think it, it, it starts with the core value of valuing people. As long as you value people and the relationships that you build, then the ideal client comes your way. And, and that really came back to you know the, what I shared uh, coming out of the Maxwell event uh, in April when we got a chance to spend time with Seth Godin. And Seth Godin made the challenge to me. He said, you know, if you really want to reach your financial goals, uh, especially somebody who is a freelancer like me where you're trading time for money, you just got to get better clients. And as simple as that statement sounds, it really is that simple. Stop investing time into clients that don't value yours, who are trying to take you to the lowest common denominator, don't value your rate, don't value the time or effort that you're putting into it. And simply find clients that will. And as much as that sounds simplistic, ever since that, that's all I've been doing. And the payoff has been tremendous. It is, it is absolutely that simple of a philosophy that says the moment you're working with a client and, and you're not getting that reciprocal value, they're not your client. And you have better clients that will value what you have to do as long as you value them in return. So we've got more to talk about. We're going to talk about passion next and, and finding that client that, that shares the same passion as you and what that can really do for your business. We'll talk about that next when we come back to the Work-Life Balance. You're listening to Rick Morris. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. 
Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance. We're talking about ideal clients, building relationships, valuing people, um, just really sharing some stories uh, around building your business. And so, um, as I search for an ideal client... One of the things that I look for is passion. Um, do they have a passion for their business and a passion for the project, a passion for the change that, that they're about to make? Um, and look, anytime they're hiring you as a consultant or, or you to do an implementation, buying a piece, you know, software or whatever, there needs to be a passion for the change. Otherwise, the, the change is not going to be made. Um, I, yeah, I find that interesting. I liken it to like a, a diet. It, you know, somebody says, "Yeah, I'm going to go on this 10-day crash diet, then I'm just going to go back to the way I was." Look, you're not going to be making that that long-term necessary change that that's going to lead to long-term results that that you're looking for. And so, I look for for passion, um, and and you know, especially people who want to teach. Uh, and share about their organization and, and what's going on. Um, and do they have that same passion in, in you know, reciprocating and, and learning? Um, the, the, my, my favorite clients in the past five years are, are people that I've learned more from them than, than they've learned from us. Uh, that, that I can look back on that relationship and say, wow, you know, I, I actually have gotten much more out of that um, relationship from from them than I feel like sometimes they got from us, but they they were just so passionate about what they did. I learned a tremendous amount about their industry, um, and then they challenged us uh, to be better than than you know than normal in in what we were doing. And that to me is is incredible. They, in fact, uh, you know, I mentioned one of the, the individuals by name. There's there's a guy by the name of Bill King um, who I've had the chance to work with multiple times. And uh, the guy to me is just a, he's a financial genius. Uh, some of the things that he thinks, the way he looks at numbers, the way he understands financials at a, at a enterprise scale, um, the way he understands governance at an enterprise scale. Uh, you know, he's a kind of guy that he'd walk me into a whiteboard, he'd draw something up and he'd say, you know, make CAPPM do that. And I, I'd look at it and go, you know, the moment you make me understand what you just drew, then yeah, we could figure it out. But I mean, the guy w- just thinks on a different level. Um, and so I always appreciated any of the time I ever got to work with him because I knew I was going to be challenged with something I've never done before. 
And I knew that if we were successful in doing it, um, it was going to be a world-class solution. Uh, and it's exactly what, what it was. I've never seen anybody run an organization like I saw him run his. Um, and so I always valued the time I got to spend with somebody like that. And, and that's the kind of stuff uh, that gets me out of bed in the morning. That's the kind of stuff that energizes me um, and, and psychs me in, in, in pursuit uh, of a great client. And I alluded to this before, but then, you know, when you're measuring the success and, and failure of projects um, or engagements or clients, it's not always just, you know, did you come in on time and under budget and, and the normal metrics. One of the things I look for is the value of the relationships that extend beyond the engagement. And uh, so, you know, coming back to the phone call I shared uh, with a friend this morning, um, you know, that engagement failed. Uh, it, it, if you look at the, the engagement on paper, it failed. Um, it wasn't a failure in terms of a true implementation. It, w- it was a failure of the culture of the organization wanting to accept the change that they needed to make. And that happens more times than it doesn't. It, it, it's the truth of the situation. They, they think a tool is going to solve a problem. They're not going to make the organizational change or the culture shift that they need to. And so then ultimately the tool doesn't, you know, doesn't survive. You see that happen more times than not. And so in that situation, what I'm looking at too in the success and failure of, of something like that is, you know, what was the impact that I had on the individual's lives um, that I worked with and what were their impact on mine? And, you know, I had probably uh, three clients in the last uh, four years that we, we, we actually split from, that we, we walked away from each other. Um, and not always in the best of terms. The the funniest thing about that, though, is normally that was us and either the the executive or the person in charge is who we decided to make that split with. The teams underneath them or the people that we are working with on a day-to-day basis um, are still some great acquaintances. Um, and so one of the organizations we walked away from probably about a year and a half ago I got an email from yesterday. I was taking a test uh, for a certification, and one of the people that works for this guy uh, was emailing me, checking in to make sure that I had passed that certification and making sure that things were okay. And I hear probably from seven or eight of those people uh, on a regular basis. Another organization that we walked away from about three months ago, um, I I still hear from about 10 or 12 of those people. Um, And then the person I talked to this morning, that was the third company, um, I still probably talked about Eight to ten. The actually, all the people that purchased the tool ended up leaving the organization, and then eventually, uh, they walked away from the tool. But all the original purchasers, um, I still work with, and three of the original purchasers have bought the tool from us now at their new companies. Uh, but um, that's what I kind of look at when you look at success and failure: is the impact that we've made on each other in in those relationships that go long term. And to me, that comes back to the passion. And understanding, you know, the the impact you've had on e- each other's lives, uh, I think that's pretty interesting. Um, I'll give you a, a, another tip that that I, that I like. So, if you've been asked to come into an organization, and either replace a piece of technology, or evaluate a piece of technology they think is not functioning, one of my favorite tactics to to utilize for me to diagnose the the culture of the organization is I ask for an hour. To, to dive into the technology kind of unabated by myself. Um, 
and their reaction to that request and also whether or not they grant the request and then also how they react to the findings from that request tells me a tremendous amount about that culture. So let me explain. So first, if they say, you know, no way, you know, we've got to show you, we've got to walk you through it. We need to tell you all the problems. Um, that that's going to tell me a tremendous amount about the culture. They're not trusting generally. Um, they also are very concerned about their image and how they're going to be perceived. And they're also going to want to control the conversation. And so that gives me a ton of red flags in the beginning because, you know, if, if you're bringing us in to help solve a situation, help diagnose a problem, um, Generally, you want our opinions and you want us to look at it. Um, but if you're not going to let us form our own opinions and you're going to simply tell us what our opinions are, why do you need us? Uh, so, you know, that helps me help diagnose that. Um, also, if you do give us that opportunity, but then you're not interested in what our feedback is, that tells us a lot about culture as well. Uh, but the organizations that say, you know, absolutely, here you go, and then are very interested in the feedback, those are generally your open and honest um, organizations. And ones that are actively seeking the remedy or actively seeking the change. So sometimes something as simple as that can tell you a tremendous amount about the organization and, and the types of changes that they're looking for. Um, I, I guess one of the other tactics or red flags I look for are, are what I call the last minute negotiation tactics. Um, I don't know where it was in the procurement departments. But these things that they feel is saving companies money is actually devaluing a relationship and hurts a relationship over time. And um, I, I see it more and more, especially in big companies that, that pay for procurement people. And I'm not devaluing the, the procurement position by any means. But I feel like a, a procurement person, if they don't feel like they can knock 7% off a deal or 10% off a rate, that they're not doing their job. I think... What, what a procurement person should be doing is making sure that they vetted a organization and that they have the absolute right group at the right time for the right price. I think that that's an important position. But all of these, you know, underhanded tactics at the last second of, well, if you don't give us 5% off, we're just going to go find somebody else or all these little um, intimidation tactics that devalue the relationship, those are things that, that cause red flags for us. And, and we'll walk away from a deal at the last second. You know, our rates are rate. Um, our payment terms are our payment terms. Not that we won't negotiate certain things, but we're not going to wait till the last second or use the deal as overhead um, to negotiate those. And that, and that brings me to, to one of my, yeah, another favorite story I like to share. So um, we had an organization, again, it's it's about what we're arguing about. So we've been working with this company, and uh, all of the arguments had nothing to do with the value of the deal that we're bringing or all the stuff that we were doing at the organization. It was all their policies and whether or not policies were being followed. So they didn't want to pay an entire invoice um, because one of our uh, people didn't use one of their approved hotels in their travel policy. So they were trying to not pay the entire invoice. Um and uh, so we said, okay, well, you know, look, you, if you don't want to pay for it, that's fine. Just just knock it off the bill. It's not a big deal to us. But when, when you start to make big stinks about things like that, um, I, I tend to dig in a little bit. Maybe it's the Italian in me. 
Um, but I, I start to dig into the policy. So we said, well, why don't you book the hotel for us? Oh, no, we can't do that. Okay. So what hotel should we stay at? They said, well, this is our corporate hotel. And we said, well, can we get your rate um, at that hotel so that we can stay in your policy? And when they gave it to us, their corporate rate at their corporate hotel was $40 more than the one that they were complaining about that my person stayed at and why they didn't want to pay the invoice. And so I went back to their policy and it was actually $70 more than what their policy was. So I wrote them an email and said, look, I, I'm sorry, I know you guys want to do training, but we're not going to be able to do training for, for six months. And they said they, they came back and said, why? And they said, well, right now it's the high travel season and the, the hotel you want us to stay at is breaking your own travel policy. And you've already denied one of our invoices because of your travel policy. And if we stay at your corporate hotel at your corporate rate, it, it's going to break your policy. And it's going to be six months until that hotel drops below a rate that is actually acceptable for us to travel for your company. So I don't know what you want us to do. Now, I know that was harsh. But it's my point to companies that sometimes, you know, we, again, you weren't talking to us about the value that we were providing to the organization. You weren't hitting us with maybe we didn't do our job. We were fighting over a, a policy that your own company doesn't follow. And then if you were actually reading your policy, we did follow it. You were just trying to hit us on something that, you know, and we're spending cycles and hours and time that, that doesn't even make sense. And so to me, those are not ideal clients whatsoever. You, you've got to just look at, you know, what are we doing? What are we trying to provide? Where are we spending our time? And is it valuable to the organization? I think those are all things that you, we have to make sure that we're looking at in finding the most ideal clients. So we're going to take our final break here. We'll be back with the final segment of the Work-Life Balance. You're listening to Rick Morris. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end -end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, 
end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the work-life balance. We've been talking about the ideal clients and uh, just building relationships, valuing people, and it's something it just made me think of. I, I was revealing we, we had about three clients in the last few years um, that, that, that we've stepped away from. And um, uh, one of the things that we value at, at R Squared is to not negatively sell. Uh, unfortunately, not all of our competitors believe in that. And so I had one of my my uh, clients call me uh, recently and, and tell me that one of the competitors tried to come in and, and, and steal them away and said that their line was that 80% of their business comes from unhappy R-squared clients. And I said, wow, I feel really bad for them since we've only had three in the last three years. Their business must be tanking. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I thought that was funny. Um, so <laughs> coming back. Um, so as, as we go through, again, finding the ideal client, working through that, um, you know, just to recap, you, not everybody should be your client. I don't think you should chase after everybody's uh, business. Um, and and I think the the I think that's hard. There there was one piece of business. Um, it's it's been about seven years now. Uh, maybe not seven years, but maybe uh, five years now. Um, I wanted them because of their size. I wanted them because you know of of where they sat. Uh, and there were so many red flags, um, it, but I still went after it, and I shouldn't have. And th- that became kind of the the wake up call that I needed within my business, um, and and to solidify, you know, all the theories I've been talking about today that not everybody should be your client. You know, two of the main things that I remember was that they wanted us to to automate a process for them, and when we did our study, we sh- we, we saw that the the, the process itself was costing them something like nine or ten million dollars to run the process. And so our, our question was is could we point to twenty million dollars of value in, in doing the process? So what you know why spend a hundred thousand dollars to automate a process that's costing you, you know, nine or ten million dollars now if we can't find twenty million dollars uh, of value or direct benefit of of doing the process at all? Like we should just not do the process. We should just kill the process. And, and bank the 10 million and use the time, you know, elsewhere. And when we delivered that report, the, we, we delivered it to the guy who was in charge of this process and put the process together. And, and he struck those lines from the report and then sent it up the chain. And, you know, that was a huge red flag. Um, you know, I should have stepped away from the deal right then um, when, when you're going to censor our findings because you're afraid it might make your group look bad or, or you know, that, 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 it didn't agree with what you wanted to say, um, and uh, but uh, we kind of continued. And, and the the other thing they wanted was uh, for us to to turn them into a world class PMO organization. And so um, this this is back to like to the diet story is. 
So what we agreed to do was, you know, we were going to use a, a standard from PMI called OPM3 at the time. And um, OPM3 tends to score you very low, but it's very simple to get that score up. But we knew they were going to score low early on, um, and they were a little uncomfortable with that. But as we explained, we could use this as a baseline measurement. Let's go ahead and let it score low. But then we can show how rapidly we're, we're ri- you know, raising the score to show the progress that we're making as a group. And the second thing was, is let's, let's meet every week. And they were like, wow, why do we have to meet every week? And I said, well, because you guys are busy people, and I get that. But if we decide to meet every other week, and you miss a meeting, then then you're only checking in, you know, once a month. And so much is going to be happening. We've got so many things to do that I think, you know, only checking in once a month is is not enough. And so we all agreed to that. And we all, you know, signed a, a charter to, to what we were going to do. We made commitments to each other. Well, I, I missed one meeting. Um, and the meeting I missed, they, they threw out the OPM3 methodology and they went to another methodology, which basically measures your level of training and, and says you need to go get more training. It has nothing to do with process or anything else, or nor does it have to do with any standards of your methodology. And then they decided to meet once a month. So then if you missed a meeting, I wouldn't see you for two months instead of weekly. And again, you look at things like that and go, what are we doing here? Do we really want to be world-class? Like, do you, do you want to say, I want to be a world-class athlete and train for the Olympics, but I'm only going to work out every six months and I'm not going to stop eating cheeseburgers. I mean, it, I, I don't understand the methodology of that. So um, obviously the the project failed. Um, it was a rough separation. Uh, there was many more things that we were doing. They wilth- withheld almost a quarter of a million dollars at the end of the engagement. And, and, and to a small business, that's detrimental. I and mean, it's huge. Um, and, you know, I should have never taken it on as a client. I should have seen the red flags, never taken it on understood that they, they had no interest in any kind of substantial change. Um, and, and that's where a lot of these philosophies come from, and it, and it served us well. So hopefully, you know, uh, by sharing, you know, some very personal stories and understanding, um, maybe I'm helping. And maybe not. Maybe I'm just crazy. But I'd love to hear from you. Hit me up at Twitter at Rick A. Morris. Find me on Facebook, uh, Rick A. Morris there. You can email me at rmorris at rsquareconsulting.com. As always, you can listen to past episodes on the Work-Life Balance. You can go to rickamorris.com, hit the Work-Life Balance tab. All of the past episodes are there uh, for podcasting or always at voiceamerica.com, the business channel. All of the past episodes are there. We've got some great guests that are going to be coming up uh, in the upcoming weeks. I've got some really good surprises uh, planned for the listeners. We've got some cool ones uh, uh, coming up. There, There was a young lady I ran into at a Maxwell event who we just shared a couple of minutes with, and she took a piece of advice and now is one of the leading speakers in the speakers agency um, in in, uh, Ireland. She's got John Maxwell coming to her event. She's going to be sharing her story with us uh, uh, coming up soon. Uh, I met a a gentleman at another event, uh, Andrew Tarvin, who is a uh, a humorist uh, and is hilarious. And he's going to be talking about um, basically how to add improv in into uh, your life. Uh, he's going to be great. Um, hopefully, uh, we've got some other people that uh, we're going to be releasing here soon. Uh, so lots of fun stuff that's going to be coming up on the program very shortly. Um, next week, we're going to be doing the show live from the IIBA conference here in Birmingham, Alabama. We're going to have another Agilist on the uh, program with us. And so we're going to be taking some live questions from the audience and talking about Agile versus PM. So that's going to be a great show. So please tune in next week. 
Always appreciate the listeners. Always appreciate the feedback. Um, a lot of people uh, reached out to me. I did have surgery uh, on my shoulder on Monday. Everything's fine with it. Uh, recovering well, but the outpouring on social media was awesome. Uh, so always appreciate the listeners when they're reaching out uh, and showing that you value us as much as we value you guys. So please keep listening uh, as the Voice America Business Network is going to roll on from here. But until next week, we'll talk to you guys soon. You've been listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.